Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. A little bit later on, we're going to be talking about the Stratford Festival production of Macbeth, which is coming to Cineplex Theatres near you very soon on March 18th. It stars Ian Lake and Kristen Pellerin, both of whom are in studio. Nice to see you. Hello. Thanks for having us. Great Thank to you be very here. much for coming in. And soon, very soon, you're going to be able to find out about uh, movies that you may have heard about but never got the chance to see because they never got made. Sort of like you know, the remake of The Creature of the Black Lagoon, Guillermo del Toro, James Cameron, and Tom Cruise, uh, their idea for At the Mountains of Madness, David Cronenberg's Frankenstein. Uh, Dave Alexander is here. You know that name from uh, years of working at Room Org Magazine as the editor-in-chief, and he is now the producer and host of a documentary series that will be called Untold Horror. Welcome. Thank you, Richard. So, Dave, tell me a little bit about Untold Horror. This is uh, an idea that I love, because so often you hear about projects that are announced, and they sound very cool. Like, uh, David Cronenberg's Frankenstein is an idea that I would pay money for right now. I would go out and see that right now. And yet, the, those movies often just never see the light of day. What drew you into this, first of all? Well, working at Rue Morgue for over a decade... Uh, inevitably, you come across a ton of mentions and releases and announcements for these films that you really want to see. And then they just kind of go away. Sometimes <laughs> they disappear without fanfare. Sometimes they resurface years later as something else. And um, I guess in the larger world of fan culture, it's kind of like this ongoing water cooler talk where everyone wants to know what happened to that. And how come my favorite genre director that's made all these movies that I love can't get another movie made? Mm -hmm. And... Why is it so hard for George A. Romero to get another zombie movie made? All that type of fan discussion that goes on. So that's what sparked it. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned George A. Romero. In the press information for Untold Horror, it says that you're going to have a look at the literally dozens of movies that he's tried to get off the ground. So he's, of course, the legendary director of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead and things like that. And he continues to make movies, but uh, you're telling us that there's a lot more ideas than there are actual movies out there for George. There's a staggering amount of projects that George was involved with that never came to fruition for various reasons. Um, you know, everything from a faithful adaptation of Dracula that he really wanted mm -hmm. to do, like a sci-fi musical. Uh, he was even involved... He was a pioneer of VR back when he was living in, in Pittsburgh 25 virtual years reality. ago. Yep. There's just loads of stuff, and the stories behind why some of the stuff didn't get made are really fascinating. And then just hearing about how he would have approached the subject matter is also really cool if you're a fan. And one of the projects, so we can't see Untold Horror just yet. There is a, a website, uh, untoldhorror.ca. You can go there and sort of uh, get some hints as to what this documentary series will be. But one thing that is happening is, and we were talking about George A. Romero, I didn't know about this, and I know George, a children's book. There's a George A. Romero children's book. So the Night of the Living Dead director has written a children's book that you're releasing. This blew my mind. It, it came up randomly when we were interviewing him about film projects. He said, oh, you know, uh, 1996, I wrote a children's book and I illustrated it and they only released it in Belgium, French. And I said, what? And he said, oh, yeah, I'll give you a copy. And uh, it was called, it's called The Little World of Humongo Dongo. <laughs> and it's about a scaly creature on this tiny planet. And he gets involved with this tiny race of people who 
first venerate him as a god and then they turn on him. And the whole thing is very Romero in terms of its subtext and right. the way people treat each other and the politics and all that stuff is wrapped into it. So if you're into George Romero's filmography, it's a really neat way to see him approaching those themes from a completely different angle and to find out that he can actually illustrate wonderfully. And when will people get a chance to see this? Well, we're going, we're partnering up with an Ontario based company called Cheesing Publications and they've signed a deal and we will be putting it out later in 2017, probably towards the end of the year. The, the wheels turn slowly on book projects. It's the perfect Christmas gift for any (laughs) zombie fan or George A. Romero fan out there right now. Or if you have a kid and just want a great kid's book, I hope. I love the, the idea of the subtext in this, uh, you know, George's movies, the Night of the Living Dead is kind of a, a reaction to Vietnam. You know, Dawn of the Dead is about consumerism, you know, or Day of the Dead. And it's kind of interesting that his movies, while people think of him as the king of the zombies, they actually are extraordinarily uh, layered and as well as being gory, also being very clever looks at what's happening in the world at the moment that those movies were made. And it's interesting that you mention that because I think one of the things that's been a challenge for him to get some of these movies made is he's a fiercely independent artist mm-hmm. who wants to say something. And that doesn't always go over so well in an industry that wants to appeal to the, the masses, the widest possible market. Uh, so there's a, another story there about him as, as an artist struggling against the tide, I suppose. When we come back uh, later on in the show, we'll talk more about Untold Horror. I have to find out about David Cronenberg's Frankenstein. I want to hear about a a few other things, and we'll talk about Macbeth uh, in the next segment. It's going to be playing uh, at Cineplex Theatres on March 18th, and it stars Ian Lake and Kristen Pellerin. Um, I'll start with you, Kristen. Um, Steve Martin has an online school now. Steve Martin apparently uh, needs a new roof on his castle in France or something. So he's, he's got a new money-making scheme out there in which he's going to give master classes on how to be funny, on comedy. I have two actors in the room here. I understand going to drama school to learn how to act and to hone your skills and do all that sort of thing. I don't really get the idea of going to school to learn how to be funny. Does this resonate for you at all? Um, I think that uh, some people are naturally more comedic than others Mm -hmm. but I do think that comedy is deceptively hard and I think that there is like a um, a technique to the timing of things and I think I mean that could be taught that could be taught I think but I think you have to have a certain amount of comedic natural comedic sensibility to begin with probably yeah yeah, I mean, I, it's funny that Steve Martin has got this because he's got his his own particular brand of comedy. It's so specific. Yeah. You know, not everybody can get up there with a banjo and and, uh, <laughs> and an um, arrow through the head. Yeah, uh, you know, I've I've it's comedy is a funny thing because like like when I first started at Stratford, all I did was comedy. I played a lot of character parts. Right. And then uh, somewhere along the way, I just like became so serious. <laughs> um, and actually last year while we were doing Macbeth, I was able to play a comedic role in, because so you do multiple funny. plays when you're working at Stratford. Right. So I was able in the hypochondriac to play a comedic <laughs> part. And it was, it was funny how many people sort of came up to me and said, oh, I didn't realize, but there is technique to it. And there is, 
there is there's science behind comedy. There like there's the situations that make things funny. I mean, usually the best comedians are the saddest ones, mm -hmm. right? Like right now, I think there's a there's a lot of comedians that are just telling the truth about their miserable lives, and people <laughs> people identify with that, and the laughter doesn't come from shtick. It actually comes from truth. I saw uh, Mark Marin perform the oh. other night, and I love Mark Marin, but. After two hours of hearing him talk on stage, <laughs> I felt like I'd been in therapy for two hours. And that's okay. It was very funny stuff, but yeah. he just digs really, really deep. Yeah. But it works really well. Well, I think, you know, I think you can learn how to improve your, your comedic skills. Yep. But if you ain't funny, you ain't funny. Yeah, you, <laughs> you are, you're not. Have you have you done comedies on stage? Um, I've done, like, musicals right. and... There have been comedic parts to certain So plays. when you get a big laugh, though, that's got to be pretty gratifying. Yeah. It, yeah. it does feel good. It feels different than, you know, a round of applause after a song or something, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Think, yeah. 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 It's like the equivalent to like a deadening silence in a dramatic play. <laughs> right. You know, that's what you You want dead silence. But in a comedy, when all of a sudden something lands just the right way and the whole audience connects to it. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Dave, your specialty is horror, and uh, it, we were talking about George A. Romero. Let's talk about sort of funny moments in horror films, because George not only has extraordinarily gory moments in his films, but his films are often um, have a lot of humor in there. Where do you think the humor in uh, horror films comes from, or what, what part of us does that access? Humor and horror are often talked about as being parallel in many ways, especially in film. Um, I think one of the the elements of that is that they're both very difficult to pull off. Right. And you can see that by there's a, a very small percentage of horror films that really click and have become enshrined. And I'd say a, a small percentage of comedies that have really become super classics as well. And I think both of them access uh, sort of a deeper core where even if you don't want to scream, something can make you scream and it's coming from a very deep place. You may not want to laugh, but you're going to burst out laughing. You can't control it, right? These are um, physical reactions that I think are stronger than in other genres. Yeah, I think people like to be scared when they go to a theater because you're scared in a place where you're also pretty safe. The idea of it, of going to see something is you get that adrenaline rush from it, uh, but you know, you know that you know nothing terrible is going to happen. Yeah, that's exactly why people love going to horror films. They love watching violent sports. Mm -hmm. They love skydiving, love going on roller coasters. It's to get a, a thrill, to get the adrenaline pumping. You want to feel the hair on the back of your neck stand up. All of that is tied into um, us living in a very safe time in a very safe environment and needing another side to that, which is to, to feel some sort of thrill, a jolt, something that makes you feel vitality and alive. I think you want to be. They want you want to be collectively scared too, right? Yeah. You want to be terrified and then look look across the aisle and see that there's two dozen people feeling the same thing. I think that has a lot to do with it. Absolutely, it does. I think, and and there's nothing better than the communal experience of watching a play or watching a movie, uh, and and just feeling the audience around you reacting, whether they're laughing or crying or or doing whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, it's hardwired into our DNA. 
uh, from the time that we used to sit around campfires and tell stories from the flickering flames there to tell stories to an audience and have them respond. It's a communal thing, and it's the best way to see a movie, and obviously there'd be no point in theater if there wasn't an audience sitting there. Uh, We'll pick up on this when we come back uh, in the next segment with uh, Dave Alexander. Check out untoldhorror.ca to learn more about Untold Horror, and then Ian Lake and Kristen Pellerin are here. You can see them on the big screen in Stratford Festival's Macbeth in Cineplex Theatres on March 18th. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In the first segment, we heard Dave Alexander talking all about his new project. It's called Untold Horror. You know him as the editor-in-chief of Rue Morgue magazine. His editorials were often the fieriest part of that magazine for uh, uh, years and years. Uh, Dave has moved on now to uh, a new project, a documentary series that is going to tell the stories of the movies that never quite made it to the big screen. It's fascinating stuff. And a little bit later on, he's going to tell us why David Cronenberg's Frankenstein never got made. We also have Ian Lake and Kristen Pellerin here. They were the stars of the Stratford Festival's Macbeth. Uh, It will be in Cineplex theaters on March 18th. So this is an an interesting process because this isn't a movie in the traditional sense. This is a movie of the stage show that you did. Um, But it's it's, it's even more than that though because it is shot in front of a live audience and then you do kind of redo parts of it afterwards and things to get close-ups and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about uh, the, the presence of the camera and if it changes your performance and and how it all works for you. Ian? Uh, sure. Um, well, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a surreal experience because you're just doing the play that you, that we had been doing the play for about six months at that point. So it's pretty well in us, but all of a sudden, the the reality of it all kind of gets lifted and there's cameras there and there's it's this one day that we're going to capture and it's going to get broadcast across North America. So it feels like an opening night all over again, yeah. you know. And the funny thing is, it, the thing about a play is it, is it is different every time. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, when you're capturing it, there's this sense of, oh, I got to get it right, I got to get it right. So it was an interesting um, anxiety, I think, more in the leading up to you know the curtain where once we got out on the stage we realized oh i know i know this show i I can do i can find new moments i can discover new things i can trust the work that i've done and and you know Kristen. luckily i was opposite Kristen, and and actually she's she's so comfortable on camera so like i came out on stage and she's just like hi welcome to the welcome to the show so yeah. You've both done tons of, of television work, and that's when they yeah. saw the cameras. But I often do think, you know, the idea of going to see a show is that um, it, it is different every time. There is you know, there is no one version of that show. Even while you're doing it, I, I always think of, uh, I saw Alan Cumming do can, uh, uh, Cabaret three times on Broadway so cool. over two years. The first, uh, in the, within the first week or so that he did the show, about six months later, and then about six or eight months after that. And it was completely different from that first show that I saw. It had ri- deepened and, and become richer all the way through. And so I imagine that happens for you as well. So the idea of uh, committing one to film must play on your head a little bit. Yeah, well, it's good that they decide to do it in September, I think, because mm-hmm. we've had the six, uh, however many months yeah. that is, like six months 
to really settle into it, and it, it takes on a life of its own in that those nerves in the beginning have kind of passed away a bit. Yeah. So it's well-timed, and September is a good... And it's also not at the tail end of the run, which right. is where everyone sort of feels ready you know, it's, it's, it's at yeah. the, eight months. <laughs> yeah. The difference between six months and eight months, I think, is, yeah. is significant. Yeah, yeah, and it's also sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I think that the truth is that we, I remember we kept saying, "We're not making a movie; we're filming a play." Yeah. Right. And the fact is, if there are mistakes in it, if there's a flubbed line, if there's that's the authenticity of what the and actually I think uh, many times my favorite stories of plays I've done have all come from major screw ups, <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> and the audience's favorite moments are the ones that aren't rehearsed because something went <laughs> wrong and someone didn't make an entrance or a glass of wine spilled all over yeah, the stage. The dog peed on the, the dog stage. Peed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they love it. And yeah. and so uh, you know I tried to keep reminding myself that the whole show, like every time I came off stage, you know, there's this, you're never gonna get it, you're never gonna get it bang on perfect. I'm speaking with Ian Lake and Kristen Pellerin. They started in Macbeth at the Stratford Festival. Uh, that was filmed and will now be in Cineplex Theatres on March 18th. Uh, how do you maintain interest over a long run like that, doing the same thing over and over and over again? You know, part of me thinks, wow, that sounds really cool because you can grow with the character and make it rich and deeper. And then another part of me says, I don't know if I'd want to do the same thing every night for you know eight months well the with the thing with Macbeth or any any classic like that is that it's kind of bottomless and um you could you never get to you never get to the crux of it probably, yeah really. you're always it's always so much bigger than you are and um and also the festival sets it up in such a way where and it was really it kind of felt like my first time in rep uh, I had done it before, but it had been a while ago. And uh, doing another play or starting rehearsals for another play after the opening of the first one keeps things really fresh and really alive. Right. And it energizes you and informs both characters kind of inform each other. So um, it's really helpful. I find that kind of mind-numbing, the idea of doing <laughs> two plays like that, simul not simultaneously, obviously, but n one night one, one night the other one? Well, it was a godsend, though, because yeah. here I was playing, you know, Macbeth, I think, I, I would be surprised if I, if I was to go on as dark a journey again in my career, because it's, it's, you really got to open your soul up to some nasty stuff. And then we opened it, and we started this ribald farcical comedy in which <laughs> I played a complete clown, and... And I was so grateful for the sort of the the, the medicine of that uh, that I could I could step away from that because you know if you sink into one thing for so, for long enough, it'll get a hold of you. it'll get a hold of you. So. Absolutely. Well, yeah. the New York Times said that your performance as Macbeth was a galvanizing performance as an unusually young and sexually magnetic. Macbeth. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you were and and Kristen. Uh, Post Media said was a standout Lady Macbeth at once adorable yet devious. So congratulations on that. <laughs> sure. Uh, do, do people still call it the Scottish play, or is that just a lore? No, a lot of people do. Really? I mean, it's it, a lot of people have um, uh, major sus uh, superstitions about that play. Yeah. So the idea is that. Well, because there is a story behind it, right? There's a story that on the first production, somebody died. On Lady stage Macbeth or died backstage or something like that. On the I had opening never heard night that. I'm glad I'm hearing production. this now and not <laughs> But here's, okay, here's, here's what I think in a nutshell. It is one of the most intense, uh, 
dark, exhausting plays ever written. Mm -hmm. And people have to really go through a lot when they do it. And so injuries happen and things go wrong right. and the lights are low. So people walk into things. And I think a lot of accidents have happened during this play. <laughs> It's e really easy to buy into a curse. Right. And so people will say the Scottish play. If you're doing the play, you have to say Macbeth. I was saying Macbeth, 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 <laughs> to hell with superstition. Yeah. And then I tore my Achilles on stage. Really? And, and didn't finish the run of so the show. You won't be doing that again. <laughs> Macbeth, Macbeth, Macbeth. No, I will, because I don't think it had anything to do with the curse. I think it had to do with the fact that I put my body through a lot of duress over the course of several months. So. I don't know. It kind of sounds like the Candyman if you say Macbeth five times Th in the mirror. That's right. Yeah. Something What's terrible happen? happens. Beetlejuice. Yeah. Beetlejuice. Yeah, right. Beetlejuice. <laughs> well, you can get a chance, if you missed it at Stratford, you can get a chance to see Ian and Kristen in Macbeth. Uh, at Cineplex Theatres on March 18th. And I think what, what the Stratford Festival is doing right now is really cool in that they are filming all of Shakespeare's plays. There's 32 or 33 of them over 10 years. So they're going to have this, this catalog, this this archive of all the major works, uh, this being one of them, uh, available for study and, and, and as part of the sort of history and legacy of the Stratford Festival. It's very cool. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Ian Lake and Kristen Pellerin and Dave Alexander. Uh, stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, we have Ian Lake and Kristen Pellerin. If you were not fortunate enough to see them do Macbeth at the Stratford Festi I almost said Stratford Film Festival. That's not right. The Stratford <laughs> Festival uh, recently, you can now get the chance to see it in Cineplex Theatres on March 18th. Uh, it will also play um, later. It'll be on television. Uh, you'll be able to see it all over the place, I think, probably in the coming months after that. But it's kind of a big deal uh, to see it on the big screen. You're seeing uh, as close a representation to the original stage show as you're ever going to see because you guys have moved on this, this, the, this thing will never exist in the same form again. N no, never. no, not with you because no. you don't want to do it again. Do you? I would, I, I would do it again. Yeah. 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 Oh, for sure. I'm young enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would love <laughs> and, to and play it in like in my forties with, with whatever takes place in those, in the, those years be between now and then as new information to, to use, to tell the story. Right, you know, that's right. a great thing about Shakespeare is, They, it keeps being relevant to, to life because, you know, they're just about human beings. And, and Well, know. how important mm -hmm. is it to teach children the classics? I know that uh, studying Shakespeare changed a lot of things for me. And uh, seeing Shakespeare was even, uh, was a different experience for me altogether. And it's the thing that gave me a love of theater. I remember uh, seeing John Neville direct um, A Midsummer Night's Dream at the Neptune Theater in Halifax in mm -hmm. probably about 1978 or something like that. And they dropped Puck down from the ceiling when he made the, you know, if we spirits have offended speech. And it blew my mind. And it, it gave me a love of, of live performance that has never gone away. Um, studying it in school, um, I liked it. I, a, a number of my friends just found it incomprehensible. Why is it important to teach Shakespeare? And how is it relevant to people today? Well, I mean, Shakespeare just wrote the truest human stories. I mean, he he just took the study of humanity and put it on the stage. That's why we've been doing it for centuries. And I mean, not every school gives kids, uh, makes kids study Shakespeare, mm -hmm. but not every parent brings their kids to the theater. Right. And actually, I think that's why it's so important what Antony is doing with Stratford and, and filming these plays, because 
if you're sitting at a desk reading, you know, Midsummer Night's Dream, you, it's it's hard to connect. But if you put it on the screen and let a kid watch it, it's going to come to life in a different way and maybe pique their interest and maybe get maybe get them to go home and say, "Mom and Dad, we have to go to we have to go and see this play." And then you've got young people going to the theater, and that is ultimately what the point is. Kristen, what was your experience with Shakespeare? Um, well, I grew up with it in, in school right. and um, and started out uh, in a company called Shakespeare by the Sea in St. John's. So we would do Shakespeare. I started at 14 and we used to do it on the cliffs of Logie Bay. and In Newfoundland? In Newfoundland. Wow. Yeah, wow. it was outdoors. It was beautiful. And um, it all kind of came from that place. And then when we, we did the, when we did the the play at Stratford, the most exciting audiences were the student mm -hmm. audiences yeah. by far. It oh, was yeah. electric. It was this communal experience. We felt them. It was so palpable. And they were right with us. They were right well, with us. Macbeth is pretty fun, too. For that, like, it's it's dark. It's scary. Yeah, there's witches. There's witches, yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, it's got, it's, and yeah. also, like, Antony and, and our designer, Julie Fox, like, she... The aesthetic was like very Game of Thrones, you know, yeah. which r r at the moment, these kids are, you know, they're really, they're really into that. And so, yeah, it was exciting to be there to, to sort of sense this feeling of them connecting to something in a new way, as opposed to the people that are already tried and true Shakespeare lovers. <laughs> and Stephen Page did the music for this? Yeah, mm -hmm. Stephen Page. That's from the Barenaked, or ex of the Barenaked Ladies. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was very subtle, but it was really, it was really fantastic. Yeah. He worked together with the sound designer, Thomas Ryder Payne, who who came up with all the creepy sounds and, and Stephen Page had some compositions and, you know, it's like, yeah, it's seamless. Also here is Dave Alexander. Now, he's the former editor-in-chief of Rue Morgue magazine uh, and you're here to talk about the launch of Untold Horror, a documentary series. And the, we were talking about some of these films that people worked on, famous film directors worked on, that never got made. Uh, but The Creature from the Black Lagoon seems to have, what it says here in the press release, uh, has there ever been an unmade film with more talent attached to it than The Creature from the Black Lagoon remake? What happened there? Well, back in this end of the 70s, John Landis was a big name yep. in Hollywood. You know, he'd done Animal House and American <clears throat> Brothers Wolf and London was coming up and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he really wanted to remake it. He originally wanted to produce it with Jack Arnold, the original director of the first Creature from the Black Lagoon, making it. And the studio thought, ah, he's too old. And said, okay. So uh, Landis kept trying to get it made. Um, I mean, this, this story is kind of epic. To take you through it real quick, it yeah. fell apart. At one point, John Carpenter was on it. Um, I've read John Carpenter's script. It's a really violent, <laughs> John Carpentery sort of a horror Indiana Jones vibe to With it. The synthesizer which score, is cool. no doubt. Well, I, I would assume so. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to hear that. Yeah. Uh, Guillermo del Toro was on it for years. Breck Eisner was on it. He did the crazies, yeah, yeah. and he got so far with it that they had actually built the sets in the Amazon to shoot it. And then there was a strike, and just having that break, the way things work in Hollywood. One little, you know, one little wrench in the machine, yeah. the whole thing comes <laughs> and down. And the executive that greenlit it gets fired or something, and then away it goes. It's yep. all done. There was a, a scandal at one point with an executive. John Landis talks about in our interview with him that helped that thing fall apart for him. It, it's just this 
40 years of comedic effort trying to get this film made. And along the way, there's been all these amazing things made, maquettes and yeah. production designs and all these different versions of what the creature would look like and, of course, all the scripts. And I want to know more about that. Uh, you can find out more at untoldhorror.ca uh, and you can uh, find out what Dave's been up to. Interesting, though, that this character has never come back. We've had... You know, Dracula reboots, we've had Frankenstein, we've had all sorts of things. None of them, for my money, have really connected. None of the classic horror remakes have really connected in a big way with me. Um, why do you think that people are, are sort of trepidatious about the creature from the Black Lagoon? The creature is really beloved. And he actually did almost come back. He was scripted to be in the awful, 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 <laughs> awful... Van Helsing film from 2004. Uh, yeah. He was supposed to live <laughs> in the Hugh moat. Jackson, right? yeah. yeah, the moat in Dracula's castle. And uh, see, that's just not right. It's but just, wait, how did you really feel about it? <laughs> dumb beyond dumb. It, that that might be my most hated film of all time. Uh, yeah. It's it's absolutely reprehensible. Um, but there has been these efforts, and of course, they did a version of him in the Monster Squad in '87, which yeah. is an official. And now there's uh, a huge plan to make the shared universe of universal monster movies starting with the mummy yeah no i get that but the uh, mummy movie though looks like just an action movie that happens to have a supernatural character at the center of it it doesn't feel like a mummy movie to me here's the thing that's what they're calling it they're calling it action movies they yeah. want to get away from the idea of horror they don't sort of seem to understand why people love this stuff in the first place and i I think that Tom Cruise might make a great action film, yep. but it's not going to be a, a mummy movie in most people's minds, I don't think. No, it sure won't be. It'll be a much different thing. And, I mean, I'll go see it because that's what I do. But... And, and on that note, George Romero was involved with a mummy remake in the 90s, and there's multiple versions of that script. I've read a couple of them. And John Sayles worked on one of the versions wow. with Alan Ormsby, uh, another guy who was in the Canadian film industry. Yeah, so yeah. I guess my point is that the tentacles spread far and wide once you start looking into this stuff. And you can find out all about that at untoldhorror.ca. That's Dave Alexander. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation uh, with Ian Lake and Kristen Pellerin. Uh, they star in Macbeth, which will be in Cineplex Theatres on March 18th. Uh, stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. Dave Alexander is here. His uh, upcoming horror documentary series is called Untold Horror. Find out all about it at untoldhorror.ca. Uh, it takes a look at movies that you've heard about but never got made. It's such a cool idea for a doc series. Congratulations on it. I'm lo really looking forward to seeing these. Thanks, man. And Macbeth uh, will be at the Cineplex Theatres on March 18th. It stars Ian Lake and Kristen Pellerin. Uh, as the title characters, Mr. and Mrs. Macbeth. I don't know, Lady <laughs> Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Just call them the, the Macbeths. The Macbeths, yes. The Macbeths are coming by. Yeah, exactly. Great sitcom. <laughs> oh, we've got to go to the Macbeths for dinner. Yeah. I, hope nothing, I hope nothing weird happens. Oh, this yeah. is going to go terribly. <laughs> And, and uh, so this is just part of this ongoing series and an ongoing uh, effort by the Stratford Festival to film all of Shakespeare's works. And uh, you've seen it, right, Kristen? I did. I saw it in Stratford on Saturday. Yeah. Tell me about watching yourself in there because you had a hard time with that. I think a lot of people have a hard time watching themselves. I can watch it and see how wonderful and amazing everybody is yeah. um, and see how beautifully, beautifully shot it is. And the, it is gorgeous to watch. But I I find, I think that was the first time that I'd had that kind of, it is, I think it's hard, you hear it all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And Ian? Oh, well, haven't I haven't seen, seen it yet. yet. Uh, I'm, I'm excited and nervous to watch it. I mean, I'm excited <laughs> because when you're on the inside of something, especially of a play, I'm always curious, what, is, what does this look like with the sound and the lights and everything? Mm-hmm. And it was so beautifully designed. I actually did get to see the show. I saw the closing performance because I was in crutches. Oh right, and you had an understudy. And I, had, and I got to watch the, the, the show and the That's understudy. Sad. And I got to see, as difficult as it was not to be on stage, I got to see the craft, the craftsmanship and craftswomanship of yeah. the entire piece of how the how the lighting sh- transitioned and and how the sound effects affected the audience and how the movement of the actors and all the direction and everything. So I got to really appreciate that. So I'm very excited to see that captured in high definition. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, I'm like, I'm nervous. What is what is my face gonna do? Uh, you know. <laughs> so and I'm gonna be watching it in, on the big screen and in, in a big room full of people. So. So, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, the excitement wins over. Uh, Kristen, did you do the last show? I did do the yeah, last so show. Yeah, with, with a different Macbeth. Was that weird? Was it odd? How did Because you get a rhythm going, I would yeah, imagine, right? it was really, um, I, I don't even, I don't even have, uh, I don't even know. I still, I was, I'm in the same place now, even talking about it as I was then, which is, like, I have, I just went completely, uh, I, I mean, we we had grown into that together, and it's it was such a, a real it was a real shock. labor of love between yeah. the two of us, and, yeah. we, and we had bonded uh, immeasurably through the process. But I can speak from the outside and from the way everyone spoke is that Kristen, the guy who stepped in for me, had to do fourteen shows, and Kristen basically stepped up as the rock and just didn't miss a beat and was the consummate professional that she is. And it was a difficult situation, but it's also the the show must go on, right? Absolutely. So uh, Kristen just held held things together. How know? does it work for understudies? Does the under is is the understudy backstage for every performance? Just in they're case, usually or? in the show, right? So uh, um, Cyrus Lane, who was my understudy, was playing the porter, which is a sort of comedic relief in this in the middle of the show. Right. So he was in the show, and he was also playing various small servant roles. And he knew, you know, before we started rehearsals, that he was understudying Macbeth. So he would. His, it's his job to learn the lines. He doesn't get all the time rehearsing them. And then he, every now and then he would come up to me and go, hey, what's going on with this? And he'd ask me a question. And actually, it's a really, it's a really fascinating part of the work because sometimes I would, I would go, go up to him and say, what do you think with this speech here? Because I need a second opinion right. and you're studying it too. <laughs> and then they get a little bit of rehearsal time and they get sort of a one run. But it's always a, it's always a shock when an understudy actually does have to yeah. go replace yeah, it was a shock their actor. Um, and it was quite sudden and and uh and he stepped up and did a great job and i mean you got a chance to see it really what was going through your head um i want to be up there yeah yeah it's 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 it was really hard to to watch not because it wasn't wonderful but because in in it's it was still in my in my muscles and my blood and i just was like it was really hard to not be in those boots saying those lines you know it is interesting with this filmed series that the Stratford Festival is doing of all of Shakespeare's plays. One of the things I love about going to the theater is that I don't ever have the chance to see it again. You know, yeah. you have to pay attention <laughs> while you're there, you know, that you that, that, that thing that you're seeing live on stage in front of you will never be duplicated. And, you know, it may be approximately the same the next day. And the day after that, and the day after that. But that thing that you're seeing, that piece of art that you're seeing, will never be exactly like it was again. And I kind of love that. Yeah. I love that it has to live in your memory. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and I feel like there's a lot of people that will get to see the the, the HD version that didn't didn't see the play. A lot yeah. of a lot of people on the other side of the country uh, that w- couldn't travel this far, and what they will see is is a one-time version. You know, right. we didn't get 20 takes. We didn't get to, you know, we did do a little pickups and close-ups, but that wasn't because we wanted more takes. That was more because of coverage and oh, we didn't get to see that person leave or come right. in. Right. So they'll get to see a play and I think it's great. You know, the National Theatre Live is doing it a lot too. I just watched their Coriolanus that they did yeah. with oh, yeah. Tom Hiddleston and it really is. It really is you're watching a play. So yeah. I think and you know, it's just one day, March 18th. So yeah. <laughs> well, and the Globe and Mail said it's the most truly satisfying large-scale Macbeth I have ever seen. Do reviews mean anything to you? No. No? No, I don't no. think you're... I don't think it's... They help sell you, tickets? Yeah. yeah. But to us, yeah. I mean, it's just, if you buy into reviews, then you got to buy into everything that everyone says, and right. that's a slippery slope. And you're read in the wind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And the same thing if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I really didn't like that show. Right. And, and then you have to... Then you have to put all your chips in that basket too so dave do you pay attention to reviews <laughs> well i mean do you write them sometimes yeah, yeah. I, I have to pay attention yeah. to the ones i write especially yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no. you don't write as many reviews as <clears throat> as other stuff um no i do i like to write reviews though there, there's a skill in it um but i like to make the reviews about something it's not right. just necessarily a judgment call i do pay attention to reviews in the way that i'll actually use rotten tomatoes to look at something that I'm on the fence with right. and a film that I'm only going to see or not see if there's kind of a big consensus. Right. Um, now, a lot of stuff I'll, I'll make up my own mind. I saw A Cure for Wellness, which I thought was totally insane and fun, but most people hated. Oh, I hated that movie <laughs> in the same way that you hated Van Helsing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I felt that that film almost could have been something that came out of Ken Russell at one point. Yeah, there yeah. was there was that kind of madness, and I appreciated that. Um, but of course, you know, art's very subjective and, yeah. Yeah. and all that. But I think, you know, when especially if you're on a limited budget and you have limited time, there is a value in looking at something like Rotten Tomatoes and saying, oh, nine percent. Okay, well, I'm gonna. I think I'll give yeah. Rings a pass. You yeah, know, yeah. I think I can wait on that. Or uh, I think a lot of people are going to see Get Out because it's getting like amazing reviews. That's yeah, hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and something. that's yeah. great. That oh, wow. those reviews and Rotten Tomatoes are giving that film, which deserves to be seen, mm-hmm. a push that it otherwise wouldn't have. And I yeah. think that's very important. Yeah, I mean, they do they do matter for the mass consumption of things and yeah. for the for the public. But for those of us that are actually being reviewed, I don't think I don't think it does any good to you know a, a nice. A nice thing in the New York Times. I, I won't lie. Like I, I, I did read that. It's and, pretty cool. And, and I smiled. Yeah. Uh, you I'm know. sexually mm-hmm. magnetic. It's, and it's everybody. Even just the New York Times. Even just the New York Times saying yeah. saying your name is yeah. uh, is is is. Oh wow. Okay. The New York Times. But at the same time, you gotta then let it go and just go do your show. Yeah. You know. So you can't you can't be on stage going. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not going to apply. So uh, we just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, I'm going to just quickly sort of ask everybody, any play that you could do, it doesn't matter uh, whether you're right for the part or not, if there's just something, a a show that you would like to do, what would it be? I've always wanted to do Glass Menagerie. Yeah? Yeah, Yeah. I have. And who would you play? Laura. Laura, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I I don't have a list. I had Saltwater Moon, um, which I did, and yep. then Glass Menagerie. That's the only other play that I have. Otherwise, I'm just open to whatever comes. Yeah. 
a streetcar named Desire. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tennessee Williams? Tennessee, or, or, yeah, yeah. Tennessee Williams. <laughs> or any Arthur Miller play. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, or, or Pinter. I, uh, those sort of mid-century American and British classics are um, things I haven't had the chance to do a lot of, and uh, they're just they're phenomenal plays. Yeah, yeah. I just saw uh, Clive Owen on Broadway do Harold Pinter, and oh, it was uh, I bet. it was quite something. What was the show? <laughs> it's called. I think it was called the Betrayal. I've, yeah, I've, Betrayal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unbelievable. Oh, cool. Unbelievable cool. stuff. Dave, any of these movies? So, Untold Horror is a collection of uh, stories about movies that never got made. Pick one and tell me why you'd like to see it get made. I would love to see David Cronenberg's Frankenstein. Me too. Because obviously he's the king of body horror. Yep. Franken, Frankenstein's monster is my all-time favorite monster. It's, uh, you know, like Shakespeare, um, the Frankenstein story is immortal. It, yep. You can keep adapting it to modern times, and it's so rich and interesting. So that would be my pick. My pick, uh, I would love to see the creature of the Black Lagoon come back, but... You know, that's probably never going to, as long as he's not swimming in Van Helsing's moat, as we were talking about earlier. <laughs> that's all the time we have. Thank you so much. So, uh, Ian Lake and Kristen Pellerin, you can see them at Macbeth or in Macbeth uh, at Cineplex Theatres on March 18th. Go to um, untoldhorror.ca to find out all about Dave Alexander's latest project. Uh, thank you for listening, and thanks to Nick on the board. <laughs>